0: to take this opportunity and welcome you again to the services um, as we conclude uh, this gospel meeting. And it doesn't seem like it's been long enough to get to the last night, but here we are. Uh, I do want to take just a moment and thank you as a congregation for the invitation. Uh, you have been very gracious uh, to myself, um, to my family, And I appreciate the prayers on my behalf and on my family's behalf as we'll be traveling. Uh, We'll start their journey home tomorrow. It's a long ways to get back home. So uh, we're going to space that trip out a little bit and try to see some family uh, along the way and check on some of them. But uh, we do thank you. uh, We love you. And and we appreciate the work that you're trying to do here in this congregation. And it means a lot uh, to see brothers and sisters laboring uh, for the gospel And I do hope and pray that um, you've been encouraged. I know some of the things that we've talked about have been hard to hear. Um, But I think that's what the church is for. I think when we have the relationships as brothers and sisters, we can have those hard uh, discussions. We can talk about difficult things because if we don't talk about those things in the church, where are we really ever going to have those conversations? to where we can really equip ourselves to find the answers to the things that plague us in life. And this evening, I want to kind of wrap up and summarize all the things um, that we've been talking about. And I want to ask you a very simple question. I want you to think about this question of, of what this church means to you. Now, I can remember the first meeting I ever held in Pampa. And it was over on Wells Street. And that would have been about the year 2004. Uh, I got into the full time evangelistic work in 2004. Uh, Elizabeth and I got married that year. And, and we came out here and uh, we stayed with Leslie and Kathy in, in their home and got to visit with a lot of you. And I have fond memories of that building. And I know all of you have very fond memories. Of things that happened in that building. And then you had the opportunity to expand and grow and and buy this facility and it's a wonderful location. Uh, I think it's a great blessing to your work. Uh, And I hope and pray that these seats that are empty this evening through the coming years will fill and more voices will come and praise and worship God. But you know the church isn't a building. The church is the body of Christ. And the body of Christ is comprised of the disciples who have dedicated themselves to following their master. We're the church. And I want to tell you tonight, his church is a glorious church. His church is a church of power and authority. And though we are flawed human beings... Through the power of the Word of God and the forgiveness and the mercy and the grace of Jesus Christ, we stand before our God, cleansed and made whole. And I want to tell you, we have a message to tell this world. You have a message and a place that this community needs to see as a beacon of hope in a dying and lost world. This congregation ought to be that city that is set upon a hill This congregation has to be the light unto the world. This congregation has to be the salt to Pampa, Texas. For the Lord has called each of us to do our part to ensure that this congregation and the Lord's kingdom continues on in this area. And we have a great responsibility to see that through. Do you count it a blessing to be a member of the Lord's body? How often do we take that for granted? How often do we not appreciate what the church really is? You know, when I think about church, I, I hearken back to my younger days of thinking, well, that's where everybody gets dressed up on Sunday morning and they look nice and they go into a building and they sing some songs and they hear a, a lesson and they hear prayers and you know what? They smile at everybody and everybody's got their life together and then they leave and go back to their normal way of living. But you know what the church really ought to look like? A hospital. A place where people that are hurting can find healing. A place where people that are lonely can find relationships that will encourage and sustain. A place where people who are flawed and have committed sin can find forgiveness and hope and restoration. You see, I worked at a hospital for about seven years as a chaplain and a counselor, and then I got into state compliance and regulations and training, and as I was doing evangelistic work as well. And that was something we really focused on, is we had people that came into our facility hurting, looking for answers, and it was our job to stabilize them, to teach them how to live, and how to better cope and deal with their illness, and then go back out to their normal life and be able to function. And you know what, sometimes I saw the same people. (laughs) They would come in for a while, they'd get stabilized, they'd get treatment, and then they'd go out and they'd be okay for a while, but then guess what, they'd relapse, they'd have an issue and they'd come back to us and and we'd start over and we'd do it again. I want to tell you, sometimes that work is exhausting. But when did you ever read in the scriptures of Jesus giving up on someone? Someone? When did you ever read in the scriptures of Jesus not having compassion on someone who truly, sincerely was seeking help? And if the church is going to be the body of Christ, then that mindset ought to prevail throughout the actions and the thoughts and the process and the things that we participate in as his body. And the church certainly is a hospital for hurting souls. And tonight, you may have sat on a church pew for 20, 30, 40, 50 years. I want you to understand something. The Lord knows you're hurting. The Lord knows that there's pain. The Lord knows that life isn't as easy as some people like to make it out to be. Life is ugly sometimes. Life is difficult, life is challenging, but if we as the church can't provide the answers, I want to tell you, people in this community are going to be law-seeking answers. They're going to get answers from the world, and they're going to get answers from their own hearts and their own minds, and they're just going to compound their issues, and they're never going to find true, meaningful life. But if the church will be what we've been called to be, we'll find healing, we'll find hope, and we'll find restoration. Now, I want you to get your Bibles. I want you to turn to Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15, we're going to read here the first 13 verses. And we're going to talk about six things that the church has to be if we're going to fulfill the mission that God has set forth before us. And whatever you have need of tonight, I hope and pray that you'll be able to say, I can find that in God's people. Whatever I'm lacking, whatever I need, whatever I'm hurting from, I can be healed and find solutions within the body of Christ. Because Romans Romans 15 verses 1 through 13 gives us the ideal of what the church should be. I want you to start there in verse 1. It says, we then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification, for even Christ pleased not himself, but as, as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproached thee fell on me. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Now the God of patience and consolation grants you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus, that ye may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wherefore receive ye one another as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God, to confirm the promises made unto the fathers, And that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy as it is written for this cause I will confess to thee among the Gentiles and sing unto thy name. And again he saith rejoice ye Gentiles with his people. And again praise the Lord all ye Gentiles and laud him all ye people. And again Isaiah saith there shall be a root of Jesse and he that shall arise to reign over the Gentiles and him shall the Gentiles trust. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. Don't you want to be a part of a group of people who bear one another's burdens? (laughs) Who bear the infirmities of the weak? You know who the weak are? Sometimes it's me. Sometimes it's you. And when you're weak, guess what I need to do? I need to be there to support you. And encourage you and help bear that burden that you're dealing with. Because at some point, guess what life is going to do to me? Life is going to chew me up. It's going to thrash me around. I'm going to feel beaten and worn and at which end? And guess where I'm going to go? I'm going to go to the people of God. And I'm going to say, help. You know what I want from you? I don't want to lecture I don't want you to condemn me. I don't want you to point the finger at me. But what I do want you to do is help me find hope again. And brethren, just because we're a Christian doesn't mean that our hope doesn't waver. It doesn't mean we're immune from the consequences of sin. It doesn't mean that life doesn't continue to happen to us and we struggle I want to tell you what being a Christian does do is it gives us a foundation that we don't fall. We stumble, we struggle, we fight, but we don't quit. And sometimes I don't quit because my brethren are encouraging me. And maybe tonight you're one of the weak. Maybe tonight you're here and you realize you need encouragement. You're in the right place. Because in this place that we talk about in Romans 15, you won't find judgment. I want to tell you, you won't find hypocrisy. You won't find people condemning you. What you will find is people that love you, who want to encourage you. Yes, we will speak the truth, but you have to understand that is not us. That is the Word of God. And the Word of God through conviction can ultimately bring about repentance And that repentance acknowledges that brokenness and then allows God to rebuild and restore and reconcile. You see, the first thing that Romans 15 talks about that we must be as the church is a place of refuge. We have to be a place that people know, hey, when I'm hurting, you know what? I can go to that church of Christ there on Somerville and there's people there that can help me. Do you think you're a place of refuge? As a congregation, not only do we have to be that place of refuge, and I know a lot of congregations spend a lot of time to make sure that their community knows, hey, if you're hungry, you know what? We have a food pantry. I don't know if y'all do, but you know what? When people come to our congregation in Harlingen, we have a little food pantry, and if they need food, guess what? We have food that we can give them, and you know what? Word gets out in the community, (laughs) and people come, and guess what? Do y'all have any food? You bet. Come on in. And we'll feed you. And when we feed you, we're going to talk to you about Jesus. We're going to invite you to the assembly. We're going to try to study with you. Because it's not just about being a place of refuge to feed the flesh. But it's to try to break unto them the bread of life that can sustain their soul. What is this congregation known for in this community? It needs to be a place of refuge. But I want to tell you. You got to be a place of refuge for one another before you can be a place of refuge for this community. And if you don't have the kind of relationships with one another, and I want to tell you, every brother and sister, you ought to be able to look at every brother and sister and say, you know what? I trust you, you're my brother. You're my sister. And that doesn't mean you're going to confide all of your secrets to every single person in the congregation. But there has to be some basis of a relationship that you know that person sincerely cares for you. And when you look at one another and you smile, you understand this isn't a smile that is just going to get me through this little bit of a contact that I have to have with you. And then I can go do what I want to do. But it's sincere and it's truly full of joy. Because if we're those kind of people, you know what? We're going to be able to find refuge in a time of need. I want you to look at Matthew 25. Matthew chapter 25, Jesus speaks of the responsibilities that we have. Matthew 25, beginning there in verse 31. says, When the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory, and before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungered, and ye gave me meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him saying, Lord, when saw we thee and hungered and fed thee or thirsty and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger and took thee in or naked and clothed thee or or when saw we thee sick or in prison and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as as ye have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me. We've heard that before, haven't we? You know, if the Lord Jesus came in here and he said, You know what? I need water. How many of us would fight and claw and scratch to get there, to get the cup of water to get to Jesus first? We all would. Well, he's our Lord. If Jesus was hungry, how many of us would do whatever we had to do to provide a meal for Jesus? All of us would. If he needed clothing, we would give him the best that we had. But you know what the Lord says? You don't get to do those things directly for me, but when you do them for one another, it's just as if you're doing it for me. When you asked my family and I to come to your home and share a meal, you did that for Chase and Elizabeth and our four kids. And I want to tell you, I understand the task of feeding six extra people. (laughs) Elizabeth does it three times a day, every day. But you know what? It was a service that you wanted to do for us. You know you did that for the Lord. That person you meet in the community that's hurting, that's in the hospital, that may not be a family member of yours, but you just hear that they have a need and you send them a card. You know you're doing that for the Lord. You go see them, visit them, incur. you're doing that for the Lord. When we do those things for each other, it's just as if we're doing it for him. And Jesus was the perfect refuge, wasn't he? And he still is. And as his body, we have to be that representation to this world. Secondly, the church has to be focused on growth. If you're not growing, you're dying. And that can be in numbers, but it also is in development of discipleship. We think of growth as simply evangelistic in in mind and, and filling pews and having the numbers. But I want to tell you, growth needs to be evident in every facet of what the church is. Our older members need to be growing in their ability to teach the younger members. Our younger members need to be growing in their faith so that they one day can be able to teach others. We need to be growing in unity and in knowledge and in faith and in What? Fellowship and all the things that God calls us to do. We have to be growing in those areas or we're going to be declining and dying. Is this congregation focused on growth? Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11, the Apostle Paul writes concerning the organization of the Lord's church and that there's a purpose behind that organization and it's all to the benefit of the body. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11 says, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. You see, having what? We don't have apostles. We don't have prophets. We have evangelists. We have pastors or elders or overseers. We have teachers. Y'all have teachers in this local congregation. What are those offices designed to do? Provide what is needful for the body, for the completion of the saints. Where's this congregation going to be in 10 years? Think about yourself. In 10 years, how old will some of you be? And the reality is some of you that are here right now, probably in 10 years, may not be here. There's going to be a void. There's going to be a seat empty. But you know what? Our job is to prepare the next generation. Not to replace, but to continue and multiply and grow. But for that to happen, we have to have a mind to grow. We have to have an expectation of growing. And a lot of times we don't have an expectation of growing. You know why? Because we're not doing the work of the ministry. It's work. It's church work. When I first got into doing church work full time and being supported to do that kind of work, there were young men that would come with me and they would see a meeting and be like, I want to do this. And I'm like, yeah, no, you don't. (laughs) Because that's all they saw was the meeting. You know what they didn't see? They didn't see the real work that went into all of that. Meetings are fun. Meetings are a great blessing. I hope and pray that you at the end of this meeting are encouraged and edified and built up because I want to tell you I'm going to leave Pampa, Texas tomorrow. I'm going to be encouraged because I've been able to spend time with you. But I want to tell you it's work, but it's not the work. The work is what happens every day. The work is you developing a relationship with your neighbor. So that one day that door is cracked open for you to speak to them about Jesus Christ. The work is feeding the hungry. The work is providing for those who are hurting. The work is looking out for opportunities to reach people who are in desperate, dire need of knowing Jesus. And are you focused and participating in that? Number three, the church is truly, wholly devoted to Jesus. Sunday morning, we started talking about how Jesus is our identity. He gives us our identity. We're hidden in Christ Jesus. We talked about last night how that identity sometimes gets lost by the idols that we put in front of our eyes. You know what God wants? He wants our devotion. He wants to know that we are number one or he is number one when we think about the priorities of our life. Are you devoted to Jesus? Or are you devoted in the sense that when it's convenient for you, you'll do what he asks you to do? Because if that's how you constitute your divine devotion, there is no devotion there. (laughs) Devotion is being there for Christ every moment. Devotion is studying and reading his word diligently so that you know what the expectations are of your Lord and your master. 2 Corinthians 11 verse 2 says it this way. He says, for I am jealous over you with godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. You see, as part of the church, you are the bride of Christ. And the apostle Paul is saying, I want to present you pure, I want you to listen and hearken to the things that I'm teaching you, the things that I'm writing. And they, he wasn't saying because he was writing them. He's saying because what I'm writing is coming inspired from God. And these are the things that will help you maintain your identity as the bride of Christ so that you might be found pure. What happens in a marriage when there's not devotion. The relationship is strained, isn't it? You know, the great thing about a godly marriage is trust. You know who knows me better than anybody else in this room? Elizabeth. You know who could hurt me more than anybody else in this room? Elizabeth. Elizabeth. She knows things about me that none of you will ever know. And you know what she could do with that? She could hurt me. But I know she's devoted to me. And she would never purposely do anything to harm me. That's what makes a godly marriage such a blessing. Is I can be vulnerable. Vulnerable. I can be open and honest and transparent, and there's nothing about me that she doesn't know. I want to tell you, there's some ugly there. But I know she's devoted to me. And through that devotion, she's going to help me be a better person, to be a better disciple. You know, when we're wholly devoted to Jesus, He knows the ugly. But you know what he's promised to do? He's promised to give us what we need so that we might glorify him. And most of what he gives and provides to us, guess where it's at? It's in his people. You need to have a devotion to one another. That when I think about my brothers and sisters, you know what? There's a lot of people in this world I care about. A lot of those people that I really care about, they may be blood relation to me, They're uncles, they're cousins, and I care for them deeply, and there's not a lot. I would do a lot for them. But you know what? They're outside of the church. And I hope and pray that one day that changes. But you know where my real family is? Wherever the people of God are. Because I'm devoted to the Lord, and if you're devoted to the Lord, we have that common relationship with one another. I want to tell you, that fills any void that this world may tell me is present. But I have to be devoted to it. You have to be devoted to it. Number four, the church certainly has to be filled with the Word of God. Not with man's ideas, not with our thoughts or our opinions, But our churches need to be filled with the Word. Acts chapter two and verse forty-two. On the day of Pentecost, after preaching the first gospel sermon and three thousand souls being obedient in baptism, the Bible says they continued what? Steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. You know what they were focused on every single day. What else can we learn about the Lord? What else can we be encouraged by to learn about this new group of disciples who are following after the teachings of Jesus who has been murdered and was resurrected from the dead and is now ascended into heaven? What more can we learn so that we might be better servants of his? We ought to wake up every morning as his disciples saying, what can I gain today? What can I learn today? But you know why they grew so rapidly? The word they. It wasn't just one or two of them. (laughs) They continued steadfastly. You know, we need every brother and sister dedicated to the word of God. I'm going to tell you, if every one of us is truly devoted to the word of God and we're truly filling our heart and mind with it every day, you'll be amazed at what you'll accomplish in this community. Because that type of example is going to be a shining beacon of hope. And there's going to come hurting lost souls, seeking answers, and you're going to be ready to step in and show them not your opinions, your thoughts, or your victories. You're going to show them the word of God. Because it's the word of God that saves and heals and restores. 1 Timothy chapter 4, Paul wrote to Timothy. I want you to listen to this instruction. 1 Timothy chapter 4, beginning there in verse 12. Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Till I come, give attendance to what? Reading, exhortation to doctrine. Doctrine. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. Meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them, that thy profiting may appear to all. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. You see, Paul's instruction to Timothy is said, hey, don't neglect the gift that was given to you. You were set apart to do this work, but you know what you need to do? You need to go to work and fill your mind with the word of God. He said, give attendance to what? Reading, exhortation, and doctrine. Why would we think our instruction would be any different? You need to read the word of God. If the congregation is going to be a place filled with the word of God, individual members have to know it. And not just a select few. It's not just up to the elders to know the word of God. Every member ought to be studying and diligently seeking what it is that the Lord wants from me. And if you need help in that, you have skilled teachers that will sit down with you and study with you. Men and women in this congregation that will guide you through the scripture so that you can grow and learn more and more about your responsibilities that you need to be performing for the Lord. But it's all because of His Word. And our congregations need to be filled with His Word. And when they are, we can share hope. One of the greatest blessings about church work is seeing people regain hope. Amen. A lot of times I talk with them and say, well, you, you just must get exhausted. You must get tired of dealing with it. I want to tell you, it is exhausting. I'm not going to lie. You get tired, but what makes it worth it is you get to see that person's life changed because of Jesus Christ. It's the best drug in the world. Yes, we see the people at their lowest of the lows. I want to tell you, I see people at the highest of the highs. Have you ever seen that? I want to tell you, if you haven't, you need to get involved in the work of the church. The church is a wonderful institution of God. Where everyday people come to find answers and hope. Because I'll tell you, are people looking for hope every minute of every single day? And guess where they're looking to find it? They're looking to find it on a counselor's couch. They're looking to find it in a bottle of pills. They're looking to find it at the bottom of a bottle. They're looking to find it in a bed of fornication. They're looking to find it in themselves. You know what? They desperately grasp at it and they never get it. What should we be showing the world? We should be showing them the true hope that lies within Jesus Christ. And that's not arrogant or boastful because guess what? All of us probably have done. We've tried to find hope in all those worldly things. Just as the Apostle Paul identified himself that we talked about last night, we've all had our manner of conversation in time past. But once we've been given the light, how could we go back to something else? (laughs) Our hope is in our Lord. And when we share that kind of hope, lives are changed. Are you a different person today than you were before you knew Jesus Christ? I can tell you, I'm different. I may be odd to some people. I wanna tell you, I'm odd to the 19 year old Chase. I wouldn't have said this is where I'm gonna be when I'm 40 years old, but I'm thankful I'm here because I know I have the Lord. And I'm confident in that. And that's my hope because He's made great promises to me. And I know He's gonna keep His word, He's gonna keep His promises because He is faithful. And because of that hope, we need to be motivated to live and glorify him. And if you're no different today than you were before you met Jesus, something needs to change very quickly. Because there's nobody in the Bible that met Jesus and didn't leave changed. Psalm 46 and verse 1 says this, God is. Is our refuge and strength a very present help in trouble? Therefore, will not we fear though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof? Say Allah. No matter what happens on this earth, where's our hope? Who's our strength? The Lord, He's our refuge, He's the provider, He's the one I trust. It doesn't matter what happens in this life. I may lose a job. I may have strained relationships. I may have people who hate me. I may be diagnosed with a terminal disease. My house may flood. It may be destroyed in a storm. I may lose a child. I may lose a spouse. I may lose everything. But you know what will never leave me is my Lord. And if I've got that, then I've got hope. But I want to tell you, I believe I have hope when I see you. So I want to tell you, there are people in this congregation that are hurting. And I don't say that because I know specific details about you. What I know is people. And anytime you have a group of people, Within that group, there are people that are hurting. And when you know people are hurting, let me encourage you, brothers and sisters, don't just let them hurt and think they're going to figure it out on their own. Go grab them by the hand, hug their neck, and try to share with them some hope. Because we're not always good about asking for help. Especially men. But you know what? You can always kind of tell when somebody needs something, can't you? Be willing to go to that person and tell them, you know what? I know you're going through a hard time, but I want to tell you the Lord's still there. And guess what? We're still here. My lowest points in my life, I've gotten through it because of the God's people. Times where I didn't think I'd make it, I made it through because somebody in the kingdom of God put their arm around me and said, Chase, it's going to be okay. We got to do that for somebody because we're a people of hope. Six, we need to be unified. You know what I know about families? I know you see Elizabeth and I and our four kids, man, they just have a perfect life. They just have a perfect home. Let me tell you, we don't. If you thought that, let me go ahead and shatter that image real quick. I got teenage boys. They have the minds of teenage boys. We deal with sin in our home. We deal with struggle. We deal with fighting carnality. You know what else? I have (laughs) in-laws. Do y'all have in-laws? Some of y'all's in-laws are in here, aren't they? Be careful. (laughs) I understand. Want to? I love my in-laws. My mother-in-law, Lisa, I call her mom because at a very vulnerable point in my life, I didn't have my mom. She was there, and she said, "I'm your mom." I've got a father-in-law. Y'all know him. <laughs> I'll tell you, I love him, but I also tell you, sometimes our relationship struggles. And I think it's because I'm a lot. I try to be a lot like him. I don't know, or we just our person. We're a lot alike. I don't know. We both like to have control. <laughs> and I'm sharing that not to air out dirty laundry. I'm just telling you, we're people. And anytime you're close with people, there's going to be times where those relationships get strained. But you know what I'm thankful for? I'm thankful that on Thanksgiving Day, I know I'm going to be around a table with him and we're going to hold hands and we're going to pray to God and we're going to truly enjoy one another's presence. Because you know how many families can't do that? And that's a shame. I'll tell you, it's a bigger shame when that happens within the Lord's body. Brethren, if you have strains between relationships of people that are in this room tonight where you couldn't sit down around your dining room table in your home and share a meal with those people, I want to tell you, you need to work on that. There might need to be some forgiveness. There may need to be some repentance. There may need to be some difficult conversations, but at the end of it all, there's unity. And unity isn't just being in the same room and tolerating one another. Unity is is truly loving one another and the church ought to be that because if the church isn't that this world is never going to know what unity is you see that picture that's a ragtag bunch of folks right there that's some of our congregation from North 7th Street Church of Christ in Harlingen, Texas I want to tell you I love those people I know they love me, but you know what I also know? I can get on their nerves sometimes. (laughs) I can annoy them. I can frustrate them. I can make them angry, but you know what brings us back together is doing projects like that. You know what we did that day? There was a Habitat for Humanity house, and we went and did all their landscaping. We laid all their grass. We planted all their bushes. We got everything in order for that family to move in the next day, and that was a great day. And we spent about four or five hours out there together, laboring, hand, just working. And at the end of it, we took that picture and said, man, we're happy because we're working together. I want to tell you, even in the middle of that picture, not every relationship between all of those people was perfect, but we were able to come together for a common good and serve our community and share Christ. And continue to work to repair those relationships that had been strained. Forgiveness is hard. But the fruit of what it produces in unity is worth it every time. And if you ever have a hard time forgiving. All you have to do is think of Jesus. Hanging on the cross, looking out at the very people who put him there. And he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Because he wasn't concerned about his vindication. He wasn't concerned about his revenge. All he was concerned about was the betterment of the people and uniting them with his father. And he was accomplishing that on that cross. Who am I to hold a grudge against a brother when my Lord forgave me of so much? Your family matters. And this church is your family. 1 Peter 3 and verse 8 says, Finally, be all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous, not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrarywise. Blessing, knowing that thereunto are thereunto called, that you should inherit a blessing. Fix the problems. Some of us are bad about saying, well, the problem will just go away. How often does that really work? I'll tell you, time helps to heal, but time alone without repair of a relationship, it doesn't fix it. Put in the effort and be unified as a family and a congregation of God. Philippians 1 and 27 says, Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. We're hindering the growth of the congregation if we are at odds with brethren. And we don't have time. Swallow your pride, forgive, restore, and go to work and serve Christ. What is this church to you? On Dry Creek Road in Gallatin, Texas, there's a little white shotgun-style church building. Elizabeth and I got married in January of 2004. In June of that year, we moved to Gallatin, Texas to work with that congregation. I want to tell you, I love that congregation, <laughs> We poured our hearts and our souls into that work for about 15 years. And I think of people who go to that building still and worship God faithfully. And I'm encouraged. But I know there are seats in that congregation that sit empty. And there's people that will never go back into that building and worship God for they've moved on. But there's a fondness that I have for that congregation. They're my family. We went through difficult times. Elizabeth and I grew up a lot in that congregation, and there are older people in that con- that mean a lot to us. That when we didn't have a dime and we had bills to pay, somehow somebody knew, and they came and they slipped money in my pocket. For they knew that my wife was hurting because we had lost a child. And women from the church came and embraced her. And comforted her. I'll tell you, there may only be 30 people in that church, but that church means the world to me. And I can walk back in there and it's my home. Now my home is at a congregation on North Seventh Street. I'll tell you those people mean the world to me. There's nothing I wouldn't do for them. I will stand on the hill with them and die. How do you feel about this congregation? Is it just a good people, good group of people to be associated with? Or is it your life? It needs to be your life. And the reason why is because the people in this building care for you more than anybody else in this world (laughs) because they have the love of God in their hearts. what is this church? Is this church a place of refuge? Is it focused on growth? Is it devoted to Jesus? Is it filled with God's Word? Does it share a common hope? Is it a unified family? You know, a lot of times we become very critical of the church and say, well, the church needs to do this, and the church isn't doing this, and the church isn't doing this. You know what my answer to that is? What are you doing? <sighs> and brethren, if this church Is not being a place of refuge, don't point the finger and say, We're not, you're not doing this. Say, Hey, what do we need to do so that we can become that? If this church isn't unified as a family, don't sit there in bitterness. Identify the problem and let's go to work to fix it. Because the longer we're not, guess what? We're wasting time. And I want to tell you, you have a great blessing. And I don't know if you even know it. I don't know. You've got elders. You've got skilled teachers. I want to tell you this week, I've seen women working and laboring for the, co- the congregation and doing things. I've seen messages going back and forth and communicating and checking on those that are sick and afflicted. And I've seen all those things happening. I want to tell you, there are some congregations, none of those things happen. You have a great, tremendous blessing, and with that, a great opportunity. But only if every one of you lives up to these responsibilities. Because at the end of the day, if the church is not being these things, that means you're not being these things. And I can't fix the entire congregation, but what I can control is myself. And I want to encourage you tonight. Make the changes necessary so that you are a person of refuge. So that you are spiritually growing and improving yourself for Jesus. Make sure that you're wholly devoted and taking up your cross daily and following him. Make sure that you're studying and reading and meditating upon God's word. Make sure that you're speaking and sharing that hope with those that are around you. And then do everything you can to be unified. Wouldn't you like to be a part of a congregation that did all those things? If you say amen, you say yes, then go to work to make it happen. Tonight, maybe you haven't been the brother or sister that you've needed to be. Maybe you haven't been the disciple that you've needed to be because you've been distracted. Tonight, the message is hope. Maybe you're fighting a battle that very few would even understand. I may not understand. But I guarantee you, somebody in this room can relate and empathize with you. And more importantly than that, we have a Lord, our Savior Jesus, who is touched by the feeling of our infirmities and understands humanity better than humanity itself. And He knows what it means to hurt and suffer, but He also knows what it means to be victorious and glorified. And He offers that to you. Will you come? We're going to have one more invitation during this meeting. And if something in your life needs to change, change it. Take the step. Acknowledge that something is wrong and you need to take responsibility and be accountable for the change that you want to see in your life. And the Lord is there waiting for you to come home. One of the greatest things I get to witness is when someone does come forward and they repent. You know, after the service, what happens? There's generally a line of people to come hug their neck. Maybe you need that tonight. Maybe you need encouragement. Maybe you need to know you're not alone. Maybe you need to know the pain is going to stop at some point. Maybe you need to know hope is not lost. Maybe you need to know that God is still there. Be reminded of that tonight. Let your brothers and sisters encourage you. If you need to be baptized to start that walk with Jesus, to be born again, do that. And upon that obedience, guess what you inherit? You inherit the family of God. Where anything that you're missing is filled. Where any void that there may be is taken away a hundredfold. But you have to come. And if we can help you, please let us. And more importantly, let the Lord. Because he knows you're hurting. Come to Jesus while we stand and sing.